Last week we started a uh, series in the book of Job, which a lot of people have been asking, like, did you did you just switch to Job because the coronavirus was coming? And I was like, no, uh, we we planned to do Job like o- October of last year, but maybe there's divine providence in that, because the you know when God disappears, like in times of panic and fear and crisis. I mean, Job's the the paradigm of how to live through that and what that looks like. And so, one thing, uh, last week, um, my dad, dad, raise your hand. Okay, my father is uh, probably my greatest critic. And uh, and he pointed out, I made a huge mistake last week, uh, theologically, during the sermon. And the issue was, is I was begging you to contact, consent you, do we have him? Uh, a California State Assemblyman, um, to, to end daylight savings time. Uh, and so if you go to that website, you can, but, but the thing is I misspoke. I don't want to end daylight savings time because apparently this is daylight savings time. And I like this. What I want is to not change anymore. Right? So he, he was really worried that y'all misunderstood. So what we're going to tell consent you to do is push AB7 through and don't do the fall back. Is that correct? Don't go to standard time. Is that okay? Is my theology good now? All right. All jokes aside, we're in the middle of a pretty horrific experience for Job. Um, if you'll recall, last week Job lost everything. He, um, he had ten children. They died. His home destroyed. His property ruined. Um, even, we, we didn't cover it, but he even then becomes afflicted with horrible illnesses. Uh, he's, he's sick, and he's reduced to like scraping sores um, with rocks. And this is what happens once he's heard all the terrible news that's gone on in his life. Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return there. Yahweh has given, Yahweh has taken. Bless Yahweh's name. In all this, Job didn't sin or accuse God of being wrong. Throughout the book of Job, Job stands as kind of a paradigm for what we do when it starts to hurt, when we're in the middle of crisis. He is, the, the Bible's like, this is exactly how you do it. The Bible goes over, the, the writer over and over it, it tries to remind us, Job is absolutely righteous. He is full, he's, is in, he has as much integrity as a human being can have. Uh, he, he's always on the straight path. When he sees evil, he runs from it. And, and, and yet, in the midst of that, horror takes place. The coronavirus comes and destroys everything in Job's life. And this is his response. So to begin, he arises, he tears his clothes, he shaves his head, and falls to the ground. When we read that in the 21st century, we kind of just skip over it, and we read, Job was sad. Right? That's kind of how we... And that's true. Job is sad. Um, but, but that's not really... It doesn't quite get it. And it's true. The Bible doesn't talk about people's emotions very much. In the ancient world, people didn't go sharing their emotions. They were... Uh, and that's because they were miserable all the time, and if they gave voice to that, then everyone would be depressed. And so instead of talking about their feelings like we do, they, uh, they acted. And so their actions are clues to how they're feeling. But that's not all they are. 
Okay, So it's not enough just to look at this and Job tearing his clothes, shaving his head, which would have been painful in the ancient world. Remember, he, would, he didn't have like a... This morning I used like an automatic thing. It has a guard, so this is only 1.5 millimeters long. That's awesome. He didn't have that. He was using like a knife and he was like cutting the hair, like ripping it. I mean, it's bad. Shaving was tough in the ancient world. Um, and, and, he's, and he's falling down. What, is that? what does that mean? Is it more than just I'm sad? Well, yes, it is. It's not that different from uh, this picture that was taken a couple days ago in Milan, Italy. That's the Duomo Cathedral you'll see there. And, and some tourists, or par- perhaps uh, native Italians, are there, and they've got masks on. Maybe you've seen some folks around these days with masks at Costco uh, while you're trying to stock up on toilet paper. Um, <laughs> we, we've, got, uh, we've got paper towels so if we run out of the regular toilet paper, so I mean, it's, you know, it's a good solution, not perfect, but at the very least, we'll be, you know, sanitary. Uh, we're not reduced to clamshells just yet. Uh, well, what does a mask signify? When you see someone with a mask, what does that mean? Sorry, protection. Uh, Presumably, you see someone with a mask, and you're like, oh, that person's worried about getting sick, right? And so they think that if they have a mask on, that that will protect them from getting sick. And, th- and maybe that's true. I don't really know. I don't know how germs work. Uh, there's another, actually, there's another thing that, that goes on when people are wearing masks. Maybe you didn't know this, because really, uh, the mask-wearing thing is a phenomenon that actually began in East Asia. Uh, and it was, it was, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and one of the things I noticed was that when people were sick, instead of, coming to ho- uh, instead of staying home, they would come to work, but they would wear a mask, and the mask was to signify, hey, I might be contagious, and you don't want what I've got. And a rational person would stay home, but darn it, this work's got to get done, and I'm tough, and I'm going to do it. But, stay away. Right? Back off. And so when you see someone in a mask, what you probably don't want to do is like get up in their face and like close talk them. Hey, how you doing? Sure, it's a nice day today. What's with the mask? You probably don't want to do that. The mask is telling you something. It's a signal. It's a message saying, back off. Like, this is, right now is not the time for normal business. If we've got to be out and about, we're going to do what we do, but we're going to get out, get it done, and get back as quickly as possible. We don't, we want some space. Well, similarly, in the ancient world, sackcloth and ashes, what, what Job does there, the tearing of the robe, it's saying, yes, I'm sad, and the shaving of the head, it's, yes, I'm sad, but it's also, stay away. Things are awful right now. I don't want to talk to you. And if we are going to talk, I don't want to talk about business. I don't want to talk about how the harvest is. I want to cry right now. That's the first thing you know, sheets. When crisis hits, withdraw. When crisis hits, withdraw. There's lots of different ways we can withdraw. Some people, like, like in Japan, they would come to work, but they were still withdrawn, even at work. You can still withdraw and be with people. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical thing, although it can be. But there's a sense in which there's a time for when crisis hits. You know, you're, everyone else is still seeing sunshine and rainbows. You're in the dark place, and it's okay for you to be in that dark place. And, they don't, and their sunshine and rainbows do not need to penetrate 
You, are, you have every right to be, and really ought to, in terms of human psychology, you really need to back off. You need to hurt. So Job withdraws, and then going on in the text, what happens next? He worships. Job worshipped. This is his praise song. All right, you ready for Job's praise song? Naked I came, naked I return. God gives, he takes away. Bless God. Not a cheery song. Doug, let's add that to our list of songs we play. Doug, you haven't done any original music, so collaborate with Estella, and let's put together a song where it's like, it's like, there is nothing and we're miserable. And we're all going to die. I think that'd be a good one. That'd be nice. I think that people would really like that. Well, what's that? The atheist version. Well, no, but that's, that's, that's Job's. Look at what Job says. He's like, I came with nothing. I'm leaving with nothing. God gave, then he took. Bless him. What kind of worship is this? What, there is a qualitatively different sort of worship that happens when you're in the dark. And it changes. The tenor of worship changes. Typically, worship's like, God, you're awesome. You saved us. And, and that's right. Like, that's, that's, we should be grateful and praising God. Like, God, you sent Jesus. You redeemed us. You raised us. We have eternal hope. But when you're in the middle of the dark, when you're in the middle of the, the crucible, the, the tenor changes. It's still worship, though. And that's what's, that's what's critical. So, uh, an example here. This happened last year at the, um, the tournament, the golf tournament. Is that what I have next? There's a light, yeah. I don't know if you can see that, but um, I don't know. I don't follow golf, but apparently they have tournaments. And at the tour championship last year in August, uh, people were golfing. And then lightning came down from the sky and exploded and injured six people. Like they were on fire and their shoes melted. They're okay. They made it. Um, but but can you imagine what that would be like if you're if you're sitting there and you're expecting Tiger to like you know drive and then oh well I imagine that you would be a little bit shocked I would be shocked and I would be very very quickly reminded of how little control I have over anything because if it's possible for me to be watching a golf game and then get blown up by lightning. I may not have as much, I don't know, control, agency, as I think I do. And moreover, because I'm a person of faith, I believe that God is beyond that. God's above that, right? So what I would probably say is be like, God, you know, you, you could have stopped that. You didn't. And I'm a little bit worried that you might not again. I'm a little bit afraid of you. My response would not be, God, you're, I love your lightning. Your lightning is so powerful. It would be like, God, your lightning is really powerful. Uh, this happened just a couple months ago. Jamie Mitchell, Australian big wave surfer. <laughs> you got you to gotta go check this They have a video of this. It's fantastic. I mean, really sad and horrible for him. Like, scarred for life. But, but watching it, you're just like, hmm. That's why I will never go. To, I think they called this place Jaws. That's where they were surfing, a place called Jaws. If you're, if you're surfing in a place called Jaws, you've made bad life choices. Anyway, Jamie, 
Jamie, right here, he's in the middle of the fall. And what he tells us, a, a, a month after this happened, once he'd recovered, he told the story of what happened. So he goes over the falls. If you watch the video, you can't really see it there, but he's the reason he's in that position is his leash is still attached to the board, which is at the top of the screen. So he's like, his board's up there. He's done. So he, he goes down and he gets smashed into the floor of the ocean, into the rocks. And the pressure is so great that if you're a big wave surfer, you have an emergency, um, like an emergency inflatable that is supposed to take you to the surface if you get in trouble, right? So he was pressed so hard that he pulls the cord for the emergency inflatable and nothing happens. It doesn't inflate. It just, he just keeps getting pressed. And then it finally does inflate, and it doesn't do anything. He's still just smashed against the floor. And he really, he's at the moment where he's like, I'm going to die. He thought he was going to die. Now, I don't know what uh, Jamie Mitchell's, you know, faith life looks like, but I've been in a situation where it was a much smaller wave, and I... Uh, <laughs> And I was tossed, and I remember being tumbled on the bottom. I remember not knowing which way was up and, and thinking, well, this might be it. And it was like, well, God, we had a good run. You know? Um, I'm, it, it's not your fault. I mean, it's crazy how powerful you are that you can, like, this wave is nothing to you, and yet here it is about to snuff me out. I don't like this wave. but I'm reminded of how big you are. And if you're bigger than waves like this, then you deserve to be praised. Even though I'm about to go out. And that's the next thing in your note sheets. When crisis hits, Job worships in awe and reverence, and we should worship in awe and reverence. This is awe that's it's fear, and it's, re- it's not like, oh, yay, God, thank you. It's, wow, God, you really are God, and I really am small. And to be fair, like when we're really hurting, right? If you, you know, if worse comes to worse and, we're, and I'm at the bedside with someone who's about to pass, like this isn't a moment where we're like, oh, we're so, God, thank you for sickness. Thank you for death. No, it, but it's a moment where we say, wow, even in death, God, you're bigger. You're stronger. You're wild. Let's go back to the text. This is a, uh, pretty awesome. In all this, Job didn't sin or accuse God of being wrong. Uh, right here, uh, this is Hebrew poetry. All of Job is written in, in verses of Hebrew poetry. And one of the things that happens in Hebrew poetry is uh, you'll make a statement, and then you'll make a synonymous statement right after it. And, in, and I, I believe that's what's happening here. I think when, when the author says Job didn't sin, I think what the author is saying is Job didn't sin. And what we mean by that is he never accused God of being wrong. Okay, this is a very interesting point. The, the Hebrew is odd, like I said, this is ancient, ancient Hebrew, maybe the oldest uh, book in the, in, in the Bible in terms of when it was written down, textualized. And the Hebrew is odd. If you were to do it really, really woodenly, it would be like, and Job uh, never, never uh, ascribed 
um, offensiveness or unseemliness to God. Okay, that's kind of how you would you would say it. So in modern English, we lose a lot of that, but what the closest we can get is like you know he didn't accuse God of being wrong. He didn't accuse God of sinning. Something like that. But but what it, what it's indicating is that Job's looking and all this horror is taking place, all this awfulness, and yet he never tells God, "You're not God. You're not. You're 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 evil." He never he never goes there. He'll say, and we're going to see in a minute, he'll say some pretty raw things to God, but he never says, "God, you're evil." God, you're the worst. He never accuses God of being less than God. He doesn't understand why this is all happening, but he's willing to say, but you're still God, and I, and I still believe that you're the God you said you were. You're good, you're, you're merciful, you're loving. I don't see how that could possibly be the case in the middle of what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say you're not you. I found a picture. Um, I don't know, a lot of people now don't vaccinate. Um, this is a picture of what every child looks like before they get a shot. Yeah. Um, I, you gotta wonder sometimes when you do the Google image search, you're like, who does this? Like, what? Uh, you know, said no kid ever as like a needle is about to go in there. Oh, like, oh boy, I'm a pincushion. Uh, no, this is what it really looks like. It's these two kids. Ah! True fact, uh, these are both viral videos where some parent um, went to the doctor's office and as their children as their child was being stabbed with a needle, they videotaped the whole thing and uploaded it to the internet. (laughs) That's Parenting 101. (laughs) You you are simply an object for me to gain likes on the internet. That is what my love for you is. In keeping with that, I'll tell a little story about my own daughter. Um, One time, Olivia, I I don't know what had happened, but I think she had to get something stuck in her ear or whatever. And she doesn't like to be touched. And uh, at one point, I think all 200, all 600 pounds of me was like on top of her, like wrestling her <laughs> as the doctor was like inserting something. She's shrieking like, don't touch my ear. You're a bad daddy. You're a bad daddy. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that, but I don't think this is why I'm a bad daddy. <laughs> like, I feel like this is actually one of my better moments. Like, you can't see it, but. And before it happens and after it happens, she's like, she's like, yeah, I know that you, I know you had to do that. I know that you're loving and all that. But in the in the moment, man, she just, this is the worst. I can't stand this. I hate you. But she never called me evil. And she would. She'll tell you the truth. But but something similar is going on with Job, right? Where he's like, he's like, I, I don't understand this. I don't know what to do here. Um, and I'm going to tell you what I feel, but he never crosses a line into being like, also, you're not God. You're an evil tyrant. You're, he, he, he goes right up to that point, and we're going to see that in just a second, but he never crosses that line. He's always willing to submit and be like, look, as much as I'm hurting, I still confess that you're God. Is this the next thing you're no cheats? Yes, Job, when crisis hit, Job is honest with God. And we're going to see just how honest he is. He's honest, but he never quite accuses God of being evil. So uh, what happens from here on out? So uh, this, uh, this is the very beginning of Job. Job's buddies are going to come, and they're going to explain to him all the things he did wrong to deserve all this. And, and Job will be like, no, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then throughout the rest of Job, he's having these conversations. And then in the middle of them, he'll like stop, and he'll talk to God. Like, so he'll be talking, there's Eliphaz and Zophar and Bildad, 
Elihu. Those are his buddies. And uh, great, great kid names, by the way. Has Janelle given birth yet? I'm rooting for Bildad. Oh, well, I mean, is it, yeah, does it really? Well. <laughs> Besides, nowadays, it's like the kids, is it Taylor? Is it is a boy Taylor or a girl Taylor? No one knows. What am I saying? I'm saying that, 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 that names can go both ways now. You don't, jeez. All right, anyway. <laughs> Bill Dad, the girl, awesome. Uh, so Job will like, <laughs> he'll like talk to his friends, and then in the middle of it, he'll talk to God, and he'll explain to God how he's feeling. This is uh, one example from Job 7. So he's like, I'm not going to keep quiet. I think he's talking to Eliphaz at this point. Um, and he's like, and, and, and then, he, then he starts talking to God. Am I the sea or the sea mar that you, God, placed me under guard? In the ancient world, when they thought about like, you know, monsters of the ocean, they thought that they were put under guard. They couldn't get out of the ocean, right? And so Job was like, am I like one of those where you're putting like constraints on me, God? And if I say my couch will come for me, my bed will diminish my murmuring. You scare me with dreams, frighten me with visions. Job actually probably has something like PTSD at this point. Uh, he's like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll go to my couch, I'll go to sleep, and then I'll finally have escape from my misery. Wrong. As soon as he goes to bed, nightmares afflict him. And he says, God, you could stop that and you don't. I would choose strangling and death instead of my bones, that's idiom, instead of my life or my body. I reject life. I don't want to live long. Leave me alone. My days are empty. Empty there is the same word, vanity, vanity, that you get uh, when, when Solomon says that life is meaningless and pointless. And he's saying that like, like every single day is a waste. I, there's no reason to be around any longer. I think the next is uh, Job 16. You have destroyed my connection to my family and friends. I have that in brackets. The, the Hebrew, you have destroyed uh, my congregation or my community. And in the context of Job, he's talking about like his friends are no longer his friends and we'll see that. They've, they've rejected him. His wife tells him, you know, I hate you. Curse God and die. And so in the middle of all these assaults and, and, and the, this horrible loss, he looks at God and he says, you've taken away even human connection from me. If you hadn't let this happen, then I would still have friends and family. Now I don't. One more, I think this is from Job 30. These are just examples. It happens all the way through. But this is actually probably my, my, my favorite passage in all of Job. Uh, just because it, 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 it's, it's a dark beauty. It totally captures what human life is like in the midst of horrific suffering. Um, and, and especially for people of faith. And I want you to see uh, how that works. I cry to you and you don't answer. God. I'm begging you, and you just, I stand up, but you just look at me. The image that, uh, that, that's, that's developed there is God is always seen as like a king, right? And in the ancient world, what you would do is you approach the king, you would, you would go, and then you would stand in front of the king, and you would wait. You would wait for the king to say either speak or pronounce judgment over you or go away. But in this case, he goes before the king, and he stands up, and he's waiting for judgment, waiting for a word, and all God does is stare at him. And 
And then Job flips and he says, he says, first he says, God, you've abandoned me. You're silent. You weren't doing anything. You just look at me. And then suddenly he's, he shifts and he says, you're cruel to me. You attack me with the strength of your hand. You literally, and this is, he's describing being taken up in a tornado. You lift me on the wind and make me ride it. You melt me in the roar. God, you've, you, first God is silent. Now God is taking Job and throwing him in a tornado and he's being tossed about. He's completely out of control. He's, he's, he's Jamie Mitchell and he's under the water and he's pinned down and he's being tumbled. And all in his ears he can hear is a roar. He can't communicate. And he's, and he's looking, he's like, like which is, I mean, you want to say, which is it, Job? Did God ignore you? Did he leave you? Or is he torturing you? And Job's kind of like, it feels like both. And then he comes to a conclusion. He's like, well, if you're just looking at me while I suffer, you've abandoned me. And you're tossing me into a tornado at the same time. I see what's happening. You're going to kill me. Well, God, we've had a good run, but looks like my time's up. What's so interesting, I mean, this is Job 30, right? There's only, uh, I think, 39, maybe 40 chapters in Job. It's a, it's a pretty long book, but we're getting near the end when this happens. And and even though in the narrative it looks like this only takes place over the course of maybe like a week, um, the extent of the of the just hashing and rehashing of the violence and the sadness and the accusations and the, it, 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 it wears you out. And so it feels like it's just been just months, years of just abject suffering as you're, as you're reading it. And really as, as Job's experiencing it, you know, even when you're really, really suffering, you know, one day can feel like a thousand because it just stretches out. And what's really crazy is, is as, as long as it stretches, no matter how far it goes, like whoever is there or not there, Job is constantly returning to the same thing where he goes and he looks and he talks to God. He, 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 he just keeps coming back to God. And, then, and, and what he says to God is like, I mean, this is, this, is pretty, this is pretty raw. You can't say much worse stuff to God than this. This, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know if anyone, has anyone seen Marriage Story? Apparently it's a movie that came out. I think I have a picture there of, I haven't seen it either. Oh, you did. I heard it's super depressing. Yeah, really sad. I don't watch art movies anymore. Because uh, it's like, I would rather, I don't know, I just don't care. But, um, and I especially wouldn't see this movie because Adam Driver is probably the worst ever. I hate him so much. He just, look at his face. Who, who, who made this guy a movie star? Like he, even right here he's actually crying, but even when he's looking mean, you're like, oh, poop, poop, bear, you're gonna, you're gonna snuffle, buggle, buggle, I wanna give you a hug. How is that guy a bad guy in Star Wars? I don't know. I don't know anything about Adam Driver, I just wish that no one would put a camera on his face ever again, because it's horrible. Ugh. 
I'm just saying. Poor Adam Driver. Poor multimillionaire Adam. His body does look good when he takes off a shirt, though, so he's got that going for him. Good job, Adam Driver. You have incredible pecs. Okay. What? Oh, I take it all back. He's an ex-Marine. Look, John, thank you for his service. I don't thank him for nothing. Uh, well, the, so the, the story in this movie, like, uh, it's basically watching a, a marriage dissolve, right? And um, one of the things that, that takes place, and this is apparently one of the climactic scenes where Adam Driver wants to fix things, and his wife, Scarlett Johansson, they want to fix things, but they get to a point where they start telling the truth, how they really feel. And, and all the bitterness, all the rage, all the hate comes up, and then he just... Just blows it out, just tells her everything he thinks, all of the horror, all of the rottenness. You did this, and you did that, and you're this, and you're this, to the point where, apparently, and again, I haven't watched it, never will, but after this scene, you know it's over. Is that fair? Because there are some things you can't say to another human being. When you get to that point, there's no return. It's done. And so, for human beings, there's a point where the conversation has to stop, where we have to stop short. We can't keep going. We can't keep talking. We actually have to... But you notice that that's not the case with God and Job? Job unleashes both barrels. He says, this, you, God, are cruel. I want to die. How could you do any of this? Who do you think you are? Do you have any idea what this is like? God, God, God. And if God were a human being, the marriage would be over. That's it. You don't come back from that. But God doesn't leave. God's still around. This happens over and over in the book of Job. Job just unleashes both barrels on God, but God's still there. God doesn't quit. God doesn't give up. And finally, at the end of of Job, God finally just goes both barrels back and says, oh, Job, you want to know what's up? Let me tell you what's up. Talk about that later. But no matter how awful and how long the crisis goes on, no matter how dark things get, God's still in the conversation. And Job is showing us that no matter how far we go, we keep, go ahead, unleash both barrels, tell God how you feel, just put it out there. God can take it. Just keep him in the conversation. No matter how bad the crisis gets, Job keeps God in the conversation. And in this, we can see that God is not like us. God can handle it. God's not stopping. He's not quitting. And last week I suggested um, that one of the reasons that we have the book of Job is that Job, in a lot of ways, prefigures Jesus. 
like Job's experience of suffering, his experience of loss, uh, it, it, the way he handles it and what he goes through is very much in keeping with Jesus' crucifixion. And, and I want you to think, notice this. I have a couple of uh, classical paintings here. Uh, one, the first one on your left is from the 17th century. Um, it's, a, it's very unique in terms of uh, images of the crucifixion uh, from classical art because this is one, one of the only, if not the only, um, depiction where Jesus is looking up and crying out. It's this, this, and if you're familiar with the text, you know that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the unique Son, looks up to the Father and says, why have you forsaken me? Where'd you go? And it's, it's profound theologically because we know that because of the person of God in, in one and three, that the, the Godhead can never truly be separated, that what Jesus is experiencing is somehow not fully the case. The Son and the Father are always united eternally. And yet the experience of abandonment, the experience of death is so real, so, so present that at the cross, Jesus feels like God's gone. And the night before, this is a late 19th century um, painting, unique because of how dark it is. This is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. And he's, you know, this is the son praying to the father, don't do this. Please don't do this. But your will be done. I mean, it's an act of worship. It's not happy worship. It's not like, yay, God, thanks for this. It's, it's God, you're still you even though you're asking this of me. Jesus worships. He's brutally honest. He keeps God in the conversation all the way up to the moment of his death. So here we are, life in the time of the coronavirus. You know, I mean... Who knows what's going to happen? But the worst case scenario is, you know, that I would say irresponsible, but predictions of, you know, 1.7 million Americans dying, those types of things. Um, you know, I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't know. Um, but what's really fascinating is that, is that the, the very things that Job goes through are exactly the things that we will do if worse comes to worse. And we are mourning and we are confused and we are lost. Why God? Why the first um, thing we can say is that it's okay to withdraw. Um, for those of you at home, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. It'd be nice if you were here so I could cough on you, but I get it. Um, and not just physical withdrawal, but when, when things are really sad, it's okay to be sad. If, we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we have people in this congregation who are in the hospital who are really struggling to breathe, it's okay to, for them to withdraw, for us to withdraw. It's okay to be sad. Number two, when we realize that we have no control, it's time to worship the God who does. You know, uh, however the coronavirus got started, isn't it fascinating that we live in a world where there's something that we can't stop Right? It's, it's this little microscopic thing. It just goes. It does what it does. And we can have some, you know, we can make some changes and be vigilant and whatnot. But ultimately, we just don't have any control whatsoever. 
And God has created a world where there are little things, little microscopic things that, that are beyond our power. And I, I don't want to say, God, thanks for the coronavirus, but I would say, God, how awesome are you compared to us? And maybe the coronavirus is a reminder of just how big he is and how small we are. Number three, don't ever hold back from God. Some people uh, are afraid that God will be mad at them if they tell God how they feel. Well, Job said as much as you can say to God. Now, granted, you shouldn't call God evil. Don't go there. Um, But wherever you're at, you can share that. And you can be angry. You can be hurt. And and God's bigger and, and big enough to handle that. And last but not least, keep God in the conversation. Um, one thing, I'm going to try and keep services going as long as we can until, you know, Gavin Newsom himself comes down and is like, stop! Uh, and you know what? If there's two people here, that's awesome. Um, and if there's, you know, more, great. Uh, I don't want us to be a place where we're, you know, making people sick. But um, I, I do want to, to take a stand and say, you know what? We're going to keep worshiping. We're going to keep God involved in what we do. Um, and, and maybe that's at home. Uh, maybe that's in smaller communities for us. Uh, and, and maybe it's at the hospital, maybe where it is. But, but God's not going to stop being a part of what we do just because um, there's, you know, sickness. And, and this isn't the first time this has happened. It won't be the last. Uh, and God's still God. And so we're going to keep being his people. Let me uh, pray, and then Doug's going to lead us in a final song. Gracious God, we pray that uh, we will be people who are honest with you, um, who continue to worship you, who keep you involved in the conversation, no matter how bad things get. And no matter how long it lasts, we've seen your goodness, we've seen your victory, and we confess that though all things fade, your light shines. And though all seems lost, it truly is well. In Jesus' name, amen.